0: Welcome to the great detectives of old time radio and welcome to our 2350th episode special. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. Or become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, it's time to introduce, or I should say reintroduce, Murder Clinic. It's been a couple years since we played an episode of this series. Murder Clinic was just a... Great mystery anthology series. Each week it features an adaptation of a detective short story. Many of these are of uh, figures that are well known Poirot, Marple, Father Brown, Campion, Parker Pine. Now, unfortunately, only one episode. Featuring these prominent detectives survive. Which leads us to the second category of murder clinic episodes. And that is programs featuring detectives that have now become obscure. People like Rosica Story or Sir Henry Merivale. These are people who are only known by the most dedicated of Golden Age mystery fans. And falling into that same category is today's hero, Deputy Parr, created by Irving Anderson. Much like the BBC series, The Rivals, these episodes of Murder Clinic allow us to hear dramatizations of cases of forgotten detectives who had some pretty interesting adventures. Today's episode has been in circulation for a long time, but in poor quality. There were a lot of scratches on the recording. And it just sounded really unpleasant to listen to. However, I came across a higher quality income, so we're going to bring you this episode today. The original clinic. was Stories October of the World's Great Detectives 1942. of Fiction. For And this one is Goldstein's
1: Each week at this time, WOR Mutual turns the spotlight on one of these great hunters of men. And brings you the story of his most exciting case. Tonight, he is Frederick Irving Anderson's famous detective, Police Deputy Parr, that visitor from a Vermont farm often called the man with a nose for murder. Good evening, Deputy Parr. You're going to tell us the story called Gulf Stream Green. Now, why have you chosen that particular story?
2: Well, it, um, it illustrates rather perfectly, I think, a pet theory of mine that the egotism of murderers is enormous. I've even had them call me up. <laughs> Lucky for us, it makes our work that much easier. Now, let me be more specific. About, about four o'clock of a late fall afternoon some years ago. The glamorous Leo Cardi, world-famed opera star descended from a limousine before the swagger dressmaking shop of Estrell Incorporated, just off Fifth Avenue. Madame
3: Estrell, look, it's Leo Cardi. I must go to the door and welcome her. Your Look, oh, the film, eh? oh, girls, please. Oh, you must forgive their excitement, madame. Oh, by now I am used to it, You do not mind me coming here and making all this upset? How can you ask? Oh, My good friends, they tell me, stay away. For if I come, I bring this swarm of, uh, uh you say, uh, uh, locusts. <laughs> well, there's one way to get rid of them. Let's go into my private suite. Oui, that might be better. No, Madame Mercati, what can I do for you? A stage gown, perhaps? No, no, Estrelle. It's something else. Oh, my, but it's good to be able to drop that phony accent. Why, Madame Mercati, you had me fooled completely. (laughs) It fools everybody. (laughs) It is for the art. It's charming. (laughs) But, Madame, if it is not for a gown, why have you come to me? Can you lend me some girl who could wear my clothes? Oh, I see, of course. To save you the bother of fitting. No, no, I want some girl who could wear this gown I have on now. But I I don't understand. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Do you have such a girl? Why, yes, probably. Will you stand up a minute, please? Yes, I... I think I have the very girl. Just a minute. Bertha! Yes, ma'am. Will you come in here, please? Just a minute. She'll be here in a moment, Madame Lercardi. When did you want her to wear your gown? I wanted to take my place now. Now? I must have an hour alone, undisturbed. But this is all very bewildering, Madame. Quiet. I'll explain later. Here comes the girl now. Come in, Bertha. Come in and close the door for you. Yes, ma'am. Oh, but she is perfect. And, uh, my child, you will accept this dress from Leocadi? Your dress for me? You like it? It is the new Gulfstream Green that today I introduced to the world. Tomorrow it will be famous. Ranel Frey created it for me. And now it is yours. But, madame. Come, Estrelle, help me out of it. Yes, madame. Be careful getting it over yes. my head. Oh, here, my dear. Try it on. But, oh, uh, why are you giving me this, madame? In return, you will do me a small favor, no? Oh. Oh, gladly. Bien. You will put on this dress, draw the mantilla over your face, go out to my car and drive to my hotel, the Nervenduc. There you will go directly to my room. No one will dream of stopping you. They will take you for Leocardie. The green dress will be your passport. When you reach my room, you will lock yourself in and admit no one. If they try to get in, you will scream... Uh, can you scream? I don't know. Scream for me. Come on, loud. (gasps) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yell, if they try to get in. They will go away. They always do when I yell hard enough. Oh, you see, Estrella, it is the only way I end your life, by scaring them. So, when they hem me in, I scream my way out. Voila. It is as good a way as any to exercise my high seas. But, Madame Mercati, how long must I stay in your room? Do not worry, child. Do not worry. Only until 5.30. Then you must bundle yourself up again and burst out of the room in a terrible temper. If anyone tries to stop you, scream again. Then return here to me. Come, Bertha. It is very simple. Say you will do it. Well, all right. Good. Estrella, have you any money? Yes, of course. How much do you want, madame? All of it. Here, Bertha. You must take this money as a gift from me. Oh, no, madame. It's too much. It is not enough. Here, this this jade ring. Take it. It is yours. Madame, I could... Do not argue, child. Tell me, uh, what is your full name? Bertha Tremblay, madame. You live with your parents? They're dead, madame. Oh, a a husband, then? No, madame. Not even a sweetheart. Oh, that is sad. But at least you have no one to tell you what you can do and what you cannot do every second of the day. I envy you that. And who knows, if all goes well this afternoon, maybe you can scream for me again someday. Uh, No, 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 run along. I think I'd better escort her out, madame. After all, that is what I would do for the great Oh, <laughs> Of course, and remember, Bertha, sweep through the crowd like a queen and scream like a fishwife. <laughs> You should have seen her fighting way to your car. Good. And now I have two hours to be myself again. Oh, a breathing spell. Astrell, I've come to you for help. Yes, madame. I'm in danger. Oh, my dear. Deadly danger. I am in fear of death. Madame. Look, Astrell, that tea table over there is set for two. You're expecting your fiancé, Kyler Braxton, aren't you? Oh, yes, but how did you know? I made it my business to find out. I know his reputation as a brilliant lawyer... I had to get his help privately so that no one would know. That's why I came here, to see him. You, you're you not angry, Estrella. You will help me. Of course, my dear, and so will Carla. He says you're the greatest singer in the world. I suspect he thinks the most beautiful. Hmm. But what can he do? Listen, Estrella. I have an anonymous pursuer. Do you know what that means to a woman in my position? Why, no, I... It means that I'm pursued by a madman. I never see him. Always I feel his maniac's eyes staring at me. I'm always in public, on display, at his mercy. Every moment is a threat. He sends you letters? Every day. Every hour almost. And that's not all. Already there have been two attempts on my life. Seeming accidents. But the police... No, no, never that. It would be a scandal. A Roman holiday for the crowd. And what about your manager, Mr. Wolfbane? He must be used to this persecution of celebrities. Surely he could protect you. <laughs> Wolfbane... I'd be the last person I'd tell this to. Why, he'd turn it into columns of publicity for the newspapers. If a sensation arises, turn it into dollars. Advertise it to the world. That's Wolfbane, the bear trainer. No, no, anyone but him. I still don't see why you came to us. Because, my dear, I've sung to you both night after night. You recognized us in the opera house? Yes, always. You never miss one of my performances. They say there's something in my voice for lovers. You both make it true. And I hoped you might help me. We will, both of us. Carla will be here soon. I know he can help. But in the meantime, you need my help even more. I must get you something to put on. Oh, good heavens. Come on, Estrell, display your genius. I must look my best for you, Mr. Braxton. Mm -hmm.
4: Hello, dear.
3: I have the most wonderful surprise for you. A surprise? Well, what is it? Look over there in that big chair. It's Leocati.
4: No. No, it can't be.
3: Well, really, Carla. I know Leocati's the most beautiful woman in the world, but seeing her oughtn't to knock you speechless. That
4: isn't the point. You must forgive me. For a moment, I couldn't believe my eyes.
3: (laughs) I don't mind. It's a pretty compliment. Now,
4: wait, madame. I have something to tell you. There has been an accident.
3: Accident? What is it, Carla?
4: Do you mean to say that you haven't heard what has just happened?
3: No, we've been in this room for the past hour.
4: Well, madame, it's difficult to tell you. It's almost impossible, unbelievable. Your name is on everyone's lips. The whole town's alive with it. So? But why? Because, because you're supposed to be dead. Murdered.
3: Carla, <gasps> what are you talking about?
4: I tell you, Estrella, streets in front of the Normandute Leocardie's hotel are blocked with people. I just came from there. Someone has been murdered in your apartment, madame.
3: <gasps> Forgive
4: me. Bertha. Bertha? Bertha? But I tell you, the body has been identified as yours, Leocati. Your gown, your ring.
3: But the face!
4: Crushed beyond recognition. The whole cornice over the door fell just as she entered your room.
3: Bertha. Poor child. I sent her to death just as surely as if I myself had pronounced sentence.
4: Who... Who is this Bertha?
3: Oh, Carla, she was one of my girls. She wore Leocati's gown. She took Leocati's place... So that she could have a little time here with you.
4: With me? What do you want of me, madame?
3: Help which I no longer need. I feared for my life. And now now it's Bertha who's been killed in my place. But why do we talk? I must go to her at once.
4: No. No, wait, madame. You say your life was threatened. Well, now the murderer thinks you're dead. You must still let him think so. Leocotti, does anyone beside Estrell know you're here?
3: No, Carla. Everyone saw Madame Leocotti leave, or so they believed.
4: Good. Then you must remain here, in hiding, Madame.
3: For how long, Mr. Braxton?
4: I don't know. I'll have to see Parr. He'll tell us what to do.
3: Parr? Who is this Parr?
4: He's Deputy Chief of the Homicide Bureau. He was there at the Norman Duke when I left. It's all right. He's a very good friend of mine.
3: He thinks Carla is wonderful.
4: Estrella, please. But,
3: Mr. Braxton, I cannot stay here.
4: No, you can't. But for the present, until Parr tells you what to do, you'd better remain here.
3: If it would help catch Bertha's murderer, Madame, then for her sake, you owe her that. Yes. Yes, that's true. I do owe her that. Very well, Mr. Braxton. I'll give you 24 hours. Tomorrow night, Leocardi sings Manon. And Leo Cotti has never missed a performance.
4: All right, it's a deal. Now, tell me everything you know, everything, and then I'll go and see (laughs) Park. good thing I found you
2: here. Oh, hello, Kyler. How'd you know I was here?
4: Oh, I just followed my nose, par. You may have a nose for murder, but I have a nose for bloodhounds.
2: Well, Kyler, what's on your mind?
4: Well, I've been retained by Leocotti.
2: Oh, she was your client then.
4: She is my client. Is? She has retained me in the matter of uh, her murder.
2: So you too know it was murder, eh? Hmm. Did she retain you before or after?
4: Well, both in a manner of speaking. She came to me secretly at 4.30. Well, unfortunately, I wasn't there. It wasn't until 5.30 that we finally met. Yeah,
2: she was presumably lying dead here at 4.35. I myself saw the body a few minutes later.
4: There seems to have been some doubt in your mind about her identity.
2: Queer, hey, you should ask that. As a matter of fact, there was. I happen to know Leah Carter never carried money. She made a pose of abhorring it. No money was found in her stocking. Quite a considerable sum, hmm. However, that dress our corpse was wearing rattled a bit. Quite a characteristic color. Gulfstream Green, they called it. Her maids told me it's history. Still, I wasn't
4: convinced. That was shrewd to you, Parr. I don't wonder they say you have a nose for murder. You were right. Cardi's very much alive. She's up at Estrell's now.
2: So, you're concealing with intent to defraud the live person of a murdered woman.
4: Oh, something like that. Well... What shall I do with her? Keep her there. Well, that won't be easy. She's above discipline.
2: I told her that great
4: as she is, we're concerned with something greater. Catching a man capable of such a crime. Well, if necessary, I'd have kept her there by force.
2: As an essential witness to her own murder? If
4: you like. But she'll only give us 24 hours.
2: Well, doesn't the little fool realize she's still in danger? If she lets the murderer find out he's killed the wrong woman? Incidentally... It... <clears throat>
4: Who was the wrong woman? Oh, a model of Estrell's named uh, Bertha Tremblay. Leocotty sent her here in her place. There's nothing she won't do to avenge that poor girl.
2: I yes, see, I see. By the way, what did Cardi come to see you about?
4: She said she was in fear of losing her life. Mm. She told me she'd been receiving anonymous threatening letters.
2: She has? Has she... Has she told anyone about them?
4: Mm, not a soul. She swore she'd mention them to no one until she told us. Well, that's Estrella and me.
2: You're Sure. Didn't she even tell Wolfbane, her manager?
4: Uh, him least of all. She said he'd only use them for publicity purposes.
2: Turn them into
4: dollars. That was her expression.
2: Good, good. Now, now we've got him. Uh, who? Wolfbane. He told me Leocardy had been receiving anonymous letters. If Leocardy told no one, how did Wolfbane know about him? Unless he sent them himself. But wait. You'll see for yourself. I'll call the desk. Oh, where, where's that dratted telephone? Oh, out here. Hello. Give me Mr. Wolfbane's apartment. Yep. Wolfbane, this is Pa. Could you run up here a minute? All well, at once, if you don't mind. You, you can. Hey, good. Good. He's coming right up, Kyler. When he comes in, I want you to notice his self-satisfied smirk. I played the fool for him, and how he swallowed the bait. What was it Kipling said? The bleating of the kid annoys the tiger. Well, watch me bleat.
5: Come in. Ah, dear Power, prompt as usual. That's theatrical training for it. Oh. I beg your pardon, you're not alone.
2: Uh, Wolfman, I, I want you to meet Mr. Braxton, an old friend of mine. Braxton used to be assistant district attorney. He's over to help. I see. Very pleased to make your acquaintance, sir. Thank you. I was telling Braxton here about those anonymous letters you told me the Ocati's been getting. How long has this been going on, Wolfane? All oh, the past
5: six weeks or so, I believe.
2: Uh, did you personally see any of these letters, Wolfane?
5: No. The Ocati told me about them. She was greatly upset by them, poor child.
2: Yeah, well, how were they delivered? Uh, by mail?
5: No. I had the impression they were deposited in places where um presumably no one but she herself would find
2: them. Good, good. Inside job, eh? That fits in, but yeah, you're smiling, thing. Don't you agree?
5: Was I smiling? <sighs> it was a smile of admiration for your cleverness, my dear Pa.
2: Oh, sir. Oh, you still say, do you, then, that Leocardi was murdered?
5: I haven't the slightest doubt of it.
2: Well, I don't know, now. It's pretty much like an accident to me.
5: Huh? <laughs> it
2: was meant to look so. Well, what beats me is, if it was murder, why didn't that cornice fall on one of those maids or someone? Why did it wait to fall till Leocardi herself came in? Don't that look like an accident?
5: Perhaps the murderer was clever, my dear Pa.
2: Murders are never clever.
5: So the police have soothed their vanity for centuries.
2: Yeah, but look here. We, we've grown over this place with a fine tooth dome. We didn't find hiding a hair of a weapon or any of those fancy gadgets you were spouting about. Not a trace. We have our laboratories, you know, Wolfgang.
5: Laboratories. <laughs> Would you like to see a really modern, well-equipped laboratory, Mr. Parr? Why, sure. Then you should visit mine sometime.
2: Gosh, gosh, I'd, I'd like to. Where, where is it?
5: On 10th Avenue. I frequently spend the night there. I shall do so tonight.
2: Great, great. Shall we say uh, nine o'clock?
5: It will be a pleasure. You will come alone?
2: Oh, I reckon so. The rest of the boys wouldn't understand what was going on.
5: <laughs> exactly. Till nine tonight, then, Mr. Parr. Oh, pleasure meeting you, Mr. Braxton.
2: Well, Tyler, what did you make of it?
4: A dangerous megalomaniac, Parr. I wouldn't go there alone if I were you.
2: Don't worry, Tyler. I won't be alone. The janitor of that building and the other attendants will be my men. You can count on that. Now, now, listen carefully. I've, I've got a job for you. I want you to bring Leo Cardi to Wolf studio tonight. Parr, have you gone out of your mind? Now, don't argue with but me. I, listen, I, 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 I want her dressed in a green dress, as near in color and design as the one she wore this afternoon. Estrell can manage it somehow, and that's important. When you get there, have the superintendent let you in the flat above Wolfbane's, and then you and Leocardi come down fire escape. Have Leocardi hide in shadows, and I'll get Wolfbane to put out most of the lights. When she hears me say, don't you feel there's someone else in this room, Wolfbane, I want her to come out and walk slowly into the room. Is that clear? Yes perfectly clear ah good good now off with you and remember wolf Bank studio tonight at 9.
5: Mr. Parr, right on time,
2: I see. Good good evening, Wolfgang. (laughs) You have uh, quite an establishment here. Would it uh, trouble you if there was a little less light? It it hurts my eyes.
5: But of course, Mr. Parr. Well, as you can see at heart, I'm a man of science. I spend 20,000 a year in my laboratory here. Hmm. Chemistry? no. Physics and mechanics.
2: And perhaps you can give me some idea as to the mechanism employed by the murderer of (laughs) Leocardy.
5: Merely a trigger of some sort? Even a stupid murderer could devise that.
2: Yeah, but this wasn't stupid. It waited for its victim. There was no other hand to touch it off. We've satisfied ourselves as to that.
5: (laughs) It's fortunate for you police that scientists as a class don't major in murder. They have so many facilities at hand, utterly incomprehensible to the average intelligence.
2: By average intelligence, I suppose you mean the police?
5: <laughs> I do. Mm. Uh, here, for instance, is a potential murderer. A photoelectric cell. Every man of science is tremendously interested in its possibilities. <laughs> Shall I show you how it works?
2: Mm, by all means.
5: You see, it discriminates.
2: As to what?
5: Anything you choose. Let me show you how it discriminates between, for instance, different shades of color. Green, let us say. I have here a number of cards, each a distinct shade of green. Now, when I run the cards through the beam, a number registers. So, jade. Now, this one. Emerald. And these. Nile. Chartreuse. Olive. Moss. Always the same number registers for the same shade, you
2: follow? Yes, yeah, 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 I see. It, it connected electrically with those uh, crowding machines.
5: Yes. It could be connected as well to a stone crusher, a trip hammer, or a, a mill wheel.
2: Or a trigger that touched off a cornice.
5: <laughs> you get the idea, Parr.
2: Perhaps... When a woman wearing a dress of Gulfstream green passed under it.
5: Exactly. Mind you, I don't say that is what happened, but it might. And you see how helpless the police would be, pitted against a really learned murderer. The resulting crash would completely obliterate the device, destroy the evidence by its very operation. (laughs) You know, constructive murder is so much more interesting than... Emotional murder. The police are always baffled.
2: Unless the murderer himself shows them how it was done, of course.
5: Exactly.
2: You speak, Wolfette, of constructive murder and emotional murder. Wouldn't a man capable of this clever constructive murder be incapable of an emotional crime? Oh, no,
5: my dear Pa, you're confusing method with motive. Obviously, his motive might be emotional.
2: I don't agree.
5: Well, take a purely hypothetical case. Imagine a man of superior intelligence who found a girl singing in a cheap burlesque show. An orchid in an ash can, so to speak. Suppose he'd taken her out of all that, given her tutors, trained her voice, sent her abroad, given her a completely new personality, and then... then brought her back to fame and fortune. Again hypothetically, let us suppose this modern Pygmalion had offered his Galatea the final gift himself. And she'd laughed into scorn. Conceivably such a man, however brilliant of mind, might be moved emotionally to murder. Yes,
2: yes, yes, I suppose that's possible.
5: But the point I'm making is that the method would be constructive and quite undetectable... Or if detectable, quite incapable of proof.
2: Hmm, There's something in what you say, Wolfbane. But coming back to your this, this device, this electric eye, it could never go wrong. How could it?
5: You've seen how it discriminates even between shades of one color.
2: Hey, Wolfbane, what if the wrong woman were wearing Gulfstream green?
5: Impossible. This Gulfstream green was a unique shade. It had only just been blended. Ronelle Frere had only received one bolt of material. (laughs) Oddly enough, I have an enormous color card here in this drawer of that very shade. I'm sorry I can't show it to you. Why not? Because, my dear Mr. Parr, if I open this drawer, an electric eye between these two arms on the desk will fire that revolver you see fastened up there in the ventilator.
2: Most ingenious.
5: See, Mr. Parr, I didn't care to have you interfering with my affairs.
2: But you still don't answer that last question of mine. Suppose the wrong woman was wearing that Gulfstream green.
5: I've told you it would be impossible. There was only one gown of that color.
2: And Leo Cardi was wearing that one, wasn't she, Wolfane? Yes, she was. But suppose, Wolfane, hypothetically, of course... Leo Cardi had changed gowns with another woman. Suppose it wasn't Leo Cardi who was wearing that gulstring green this afternoon.
5: She wasn't? Ah. Huh. You think to trick me, me, Wolfbane, with these childish games. Well,
2: why are you nervous, Wolfbane? If you are, I'd advise you to take your hand off that dangerous drawer. You might pull it out. You're a reflex, you know.
5: What did you mean, Pa, about Leo Cardi on that dress?
2: Well, Feel as someone else in this room? You're old crazy. Am I, Wolf Suppose you look behind you. <gasps> Cardi. No. No. Either Cardi or a ghost, Wolf Pain. Get away from me. Get away from me. Get down. <laughs> he
3: killed himself.
2: Yes. Poetic justice. He was caught in his own trap. The card in that drawer was Gulf Stream Green.
3: And I thought he loved me. But instead, how? He must have hated me. Oh, I wish I'd known.
2: Ah, it's it's better this way. We'd had a hard time proving his guilt. It was poetic justice. His own constructive cleverness has destroyed him. (laughs)
1: You have been listening to Murder Clinic. Murder Clinic, the WOR mutual series, which brings you each week one exciting case. One member from the select band of the world's great detectives. Next week, we're especially privileged to bring you G.K. Chesterton's monumental creation, the great detective priest, Father Brown. The story he'll tell is that world-famous masterpiece, The Oracle of the Dog, in which Father Brown reveals that, like Sir Francis, he also understands the unspoken language of all God's creatures. Tonight's detective was Police Deputy Parr, Frederick Irving Anderson's famous detective, played by Mark Smith. This program was an international exchange feature over the coast-to-coast network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Original music was composed by Ralph Barnhart and conducted by Bob Stanley. Tales told on Murder Clinic are adapted by authors Lee Wright and John A. Bassett. Murder Clinic is produced under the direction of Alvin Flanagan. Frank Knight speaking. This is Mutual.
0: and essentially all Parr does is get the villain to confess, but still an interesting lesson. Parr was introduced by Irving Anderson, who only wrote three books of detective fiction and two books on farming. The story we just heard was published in his short story collection, Book of Murder, though there were many uncollected in uh, deputy Parr stories, all the way up to the point of his death in 1947. All right, well, that will be all for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Nightbeat. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, and off.